We're going to take the time this morning to look into John chapter 13. And you heard this story. It's perhaps familiar to you. But as we go into the 13th chapter of the book of John, we see a break in what uh, Jesus is doing. The first 12 chapters of the book of John, he is devoted to his public ministry. And as you read through those uh, chapters, you see him reaching out to the masses. But in chapter 13, this chapter that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus comes to a much smaller group. He begins to minister, really for the last time, to his disciples, to those who have responded to his message. And as we look at this story, we realize that this is a very special event that occurs. In just a few hours, Jesus will go to the cross. He will give his life. And as the disciples gather in the upper room, Jesus provides an unforgettable object lesson for them that we're going to look at this morning. I'm using a painting by a 16th century uh, painter, Jacobo Tintoretta, as a backdrop for our lesson. And of course, the main character in this story is our Savior. But Peter also plays a very uh, prominent role as well. And I trust that as we read the scripture this morning, if you looked at the screen, you noticed that we emphasized several of the uh, sentences there. The word if is used, and you say, well, I couldn't miss it because it was in red. Well, the word if is found in this story three different times. And we're going to use that as the focus for three lessons that we find in this account. The story is clear. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the God of all creation, stoops to perform a lowly, menial task that usually was carried out by the least of the servants. So as we consider this story, we're going to keep that in mind, but we want to think about the word if. You know, the word if has great implications. It's a very small word. But it can have great meaning. As we think about the realm of athletics, and I can't help that. That's going to be a part of my thought process. But if you follow the Dolphins, you know that there are a lot of ifs attached to this season. If they find a right guard, that's one of their problems now on the offensive line. And if they can protect the second-year quarterback, and if he develops the way that he is showing promise, and if the defense plays up to their capability, we will be in the playoffs, right? We're going to go to the Super Bowl. That's a lot of ifs, isn't it? But that's kind of the way we look at the word. We also use the word if after the fact in athletics. Right now, you have a city, San Antonio, that's saying if Ray Allen hadn't hit that three-point shot, we would have been world champions again. And as a coach, a former coach, I used the word if quite a bit. If the referee had called this correctly or if this player hadn't got hurt. But you know what goes on, and it's not only for uh, sports, and, but when we think of a big if here in South Florida, we're all thinking if the Marlins just had a different owner, we could have a Major League Baseball team. We could see that take place. 
But, of course, it does impact more than athletics. Sometimes in our life we say, if I'd only listened. You know, I got some good advice, but I didn't follow it. If I had worked harder, man, if I just hadn't said that. I think there are probably several politicians are thinking, if I hadn't sent that text message. The word if can also be a precursor, a promise of good things, a conditional word that often is used that way in Scripture. The word if is found over 1,500 times in God's word. Remember when Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. If I may touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Remember the lady with the issue of blood? And God did heal her. In 1 John chapter 1, we see in verse 7, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Now, Jesus uses this little word, if, as a promise in this passage. But it's not only for his disciples. It's something that applies to all of us. All of his believers can learn the lessons that he taught in that upper room. Let's review uh, verses 4, 5, and 6 if you have your Bibles or you can look to the screen. And we're going to see the first if. The first if. Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And then in the next verse, we know that he protests this. He says, Lord, you are never going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, our first if, if, you, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And then, of course, in Peter's response, which was typical of his personality, he said, hey, if that's the way it is, then wash me all over. Give me a bath. And then Jesus comes back to him again and replies, you don't need to be washed. And that's actually the word in verse 10. It says, he that is bathed, the, the word changes, only needs to have his feet washed. So as you're listening to this, you may be saying, what, what's taking place here? What's happening? First, we say you need to be washed, and then you don't need to be washed. Well, Jesus is teaching a very great truth here. What he's saying is that if you desire... Peter, and to anyone, if you desire to have a relationship with me, you must be holy. And we sang about it this morning. We must be washed in the blood of our Savior. That is the first condition of holiness, that you know that there is an event that has taken place in your life where you have recognized that you're a sinner that you have no hope of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus said to Peter, you've got to be washed. Revelation 1.5 says that we are washed in his blood. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, 
the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and what? Washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's a one-time event. And Jesus is teaching a particular point in this justification that we don't need to keep getting saved. He's teaching eternal security. That once you have been washed in the blood of Christ, that that's a settled issue. And I would say that's the most important issue that any of us face. And perhaps you're here this morning. I'm very pleased that we have parents that are here and maybe guests that are here. That would be the most important issue in your life. Have you been washed in the blood of Christ? Do you know a specific time that you gave that consent to the Savior who died for you and you accepted what he did on the cross? Oftentimes when we have new students in the school that come in secondary, they have an interview process. Mr. Smith and I do that. And once in a while, in the course of that process, we have a questionnaire that our students answer and they say, the question is something to this effect, are you going to heaven and how do you know that? Well, sometimes they may say, well, I'm a good person or I've always believed in God. And the point that I try to make to them is you must have a specific experience where you know that you've been washed in the blood. And that's the first point that Jesus was making when he said, Peter, you have no part with me unless you're washed in the blood. But the second part of this holiness is the picture given by the feet that we use, that we need to have washed in order to maintain fellowship with Jesus and other believers. We read 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In verse 3 of that passage, it says that our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we have this introduction into the, the family of God. We're born again. But that relationship with Christ needs to be maintained through an act of holiness. It's, it's illustrated in maybe our earthly existence when we're born into our family. You're born, you, you can give me a date for your birthday. I had one yesterday. I don't like to think about them quite as much as I used to, but uh, you have a birthday. You also, if you've been washed, you have a spiritual birthday. Now, the relationship that you have with your father is not going to change in the sense that you're always going to be his child. But your relationship can change with your father when you don't do what he tells you to do. I experienced that quite often growing up. There would be things that would happen, and my relationship would change with my dad. And he would do certain things to bring me back into relationship with him. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good for me. But God does the same thing. I read in Hebrews this morning the fact that our discipline is for our holiness. To maintain the holiness and the relationship that God wants to have with us. The disciples understood this idea of keeping their feet clean. They walked around the countryside. They were wearing sandals. 
They didn't have sidewalks. They didn't have roads. What were they doing? They were walking around dusty, sometimes muddy streets or pathways. And they had to have their feet washed. And that's why this meant so much to them to understand what was happening in a spiritual way. And everyone knew that. In fact, the picture that we're using this morning is not an accurate picture of what the Last Supper and what a meal would have consisted of in that particular time because people would recline as they ate. And so just think about that for a minute. You're eating and you have people's feet perhaps in near proximity of your meal. That's why this would take place. A servant would come and say, we're going to wash. And I'm sure there were mothers all over Jerusalem when they called their children to supper, please wash your feet before you come to supper. Right? Okay, we'll let that go. <laughs> this is the point. As we journey through this life, we become soiled with sin and our failures. And that's why we claim 1 John 1, 9. We must have a daily cleansing. That's why God, or Jesus said, Peter, you need to be washed. You don't need the bath, but you're going to have to keep your fellowship with me close. This is the if of holiness regarding our sanctification. We have been made holy, as I've explained. When God looks at us, he sees us perfect in what Christ did on the cross. But in another context of holiness, we realize we are not perfected. We sang about that this morning, holiness, the first song that we sang. And part of that song says, holiness, this is what I need. And that's absolutely true. But it also said, holiness, this is what I long for. And I have to tell you, that's not always what I long for. I wish it was. I was at a, uh, in a store a week ago Saturday. Uh, it was pretty early in the morning, and I was doing some shopping. And the store was pretty empty, and I came to a corner, and three men passed in front of me. Uh, I believe they worked there. And one of the the, the guys um, very loudly cursed the name of the Lord. And I reacted. And I said, why did you have to say that? And now they're 10, 15 feet in front of me, and they all turn and look at me. Two of them are pretty big, and I'm thinking, why did I say that? <laughs> but he, the guy who said it said, excuse me. And I said, why did you have to take God's son's name in vain. And he said, excuse me, sir, I'm sorry. I think it was because he felt sorry for me, but <laughs> I said, why don't you think about what you say? And I walked away. And I'm not recommending that you do that. That's probably not a good tool of witnessing. But that's not the end of the story. About five or six hours later, I've been out in the heat. It was very hot last Saturday, and I had washed cars and done things in the yard. And uh, gotten done with that, came in. My wife had, I think, gone shopping. 
And I took a shower, and I, I found a very comfortable place in my house. It's the couch. And I did what many of you do. I took the, the remote. And uh, men, you know the gift that God has given you. You can watch four or five programs at once, right? Uh, it's not what's on. It's what else is on. So you're beginning the, the, the process. We can't remember two of the three things our wife tell us to pick up at the store, but we can see all these programs. So I'm watching these programs. One of the things that I watched was golf. And uh, some people think that golf is boring. Golf is not boring. When I watch it, it's confusing because they're doing things when they play golf that I never do. It doesn't make sense to me, the game that they're playing. So I'm watching golf, probably another sports thing. And then I came uh, to a movie that I had seen probably 15, 20 years ago. And uh, I couldn't remember a lot of it. I think it's because I was probably channel surfing back then. But I got interested in this movie. And it drew me in. I'm watching it. Uh, one of the guys I enjoy watching. Now, as you may know, the standards in television have changed radically. And something that you may have seen 15 years ago, the standards and filters are not the same. So you're hearing things and you're seeing things that you didn't see. So I'm watching this movie. It's getting pretty good. And all of a sudden, God's name is taken in vain. And I have a standard, and it doesn't have to be your standard. But when I hear that in a program, I normally stop watching it. I can't watch this. But you know what? I had a struggle. And... I didn't even put this together with what had happened in the morning till later. But, you know, that would have been pretty hypocritical of me, wouldn't it? To say, this should be your standard of holiness, but I've got a different one. And so, I didn't tell you that story, honestly, to make myself look good. Because people that know me, my wife can probably share a lot of things would tell you that I don't always make the right choices. I fail in this holiness that God has called us to be. In 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in what? All your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And this word can be intimidating because we fall so short of God's perfection. But it's a very scriptural principle. The word holy is found over 600 times in God's word. It means to be blameless, to be separated from sin, to be consecrated to God. And that should be not just what we say, I can take it or leave it. But this is what I long for. This is what I need in order to stay in fellowship. And when we fall, and we will, aren't you glad you have a Savior? That's there to wash your feet and say, come back into fellowship. Come back to me. That's our first if of holiness. Let's look at the second one. The second if is found in verse 14. And as we look at... Uh, Back to verse 12, it says, so when he had washed their feet, he's finished this. 
He's taken his garments and sat down again. And he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is the if of humility. The if of humility. Jesus had shocked these disciples by, first of all, going around and washing their feet. Now, he totally blows them away by saying, did you see what I did? This is what I want you to do. And I want you to do it to one another. You're going to be a servant to me in this way. And I'm sure it was a shock. They were probably thinking, us? We're going to do this servant's job? When I was in high school, I had a part-time job. It was selling shoes. And I learned a lot about people. That's not me, but I thought it was a good picture. People were very defensive about their shoes, um, particularly their shoe size. Many people would claim to be a smaller size, and I would be measuring, I think I'm a five and a half. No, this thing says eight. You're not a five and a half. And if the shoe was on sale, they were going to try to get their foot in there. And if I could make the sale, we would work together to make that happen. But there was a hazard, hazardous part to that job. And you might have figured it out, handling people's feet. And you never knew when that beast would be released, when someone would take their shoe off. And you would go, I think I can get through this. And it just wasn't that pleasant sometimes. But it's not always pleasant to do what God has called us as a servant. Corbin, our oldest uh, grandchild, our oldest grandson, was with us a couple weeks ago. And I enjoy putting him to bed and telling him a story. We've worn out Jack and the Beanstalk, and I've had to come up with different versions for him. But um, I was studying this passage, so I told Corbin the story. I said, now, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and then he asked them to do the same thing. And I said, Corbin, would you like to wash people's feet? Would you do that for Jesus? And he said, no. No, that would be gross. <laughs> and that's exactly the point. Washing one another's feet is going to be a humbling experience at times. That's not what the disciples had in mind. They were already trying to figure out where they were going to set in the kingdom of God. In fact, James and John's mother had come to Jesus and said, it would be pretty cool if little Jimmy and Johnny could be on your left and your right hand. And Jesus said, you don't get, this, you don't get the picture yet. But they would get the picture. And we can't fault them very much if we're honest with ourselves because that's all of us that's all of us we are naturally inclined to think of ourselves first that's why this dramatic example was so necessary Jesus was saying to these men who were going to carry the message of the cross to the world 
that you've got to be a servant, that you've got to be willing to do the humble things. This is the path of a servant. First verses 5 and 6. Jesus told the disciples, you may not understand this now, but you're going to understand it later. Boy, Peter sure did get it. Look what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. He was thinking about Jesus girding himself with that towel and clothing himself with humility. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Did you see this part of the verse that says God resists the proud? How can we expect to serve God if we have pride in our lives? God cannot bless us or use us unless we are clothed in humility. That was the point that this servant carried out before these 12 men. Do you realize he washed Judas' feet? The man who was going to betray him? And yet that was his heart. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Today you saw our teacher stand before you, and I trust that you'll take the piece of paper that's in your bulletin and, and pray for them. I know that many of you do that. But you know, this is very true. The people that will be our most effective teachers this year will be the ones who are the best servants to their students and to their parents. The teachers who give most of themselves will enjoy the most success. This is a, a factor that even the world recognizes. When you think about it, every business that, that you're engaged in, they're trying to do one thing. If they're trying to do it well, they're trying to make you feel like you're being served. And some companies do better than others. One that does pretty well is Disney. I want to read you an account that uh, was in actually the devotional that we have here uh, several months ago. Uh, my wife pointed it out, but listen to this story about servanthood. Disneyland is referred to as the Magic Kingdom. For those who work there, one value is emphasized above all others. It's what puts the magic into that kingdom. What is it? Servanthood. Employees are told that when you walk through those gates, you serve. You treat every encounter with people as if they were your personal guest. If they need directions, you escort them. If they ask a question you've heard a hundred times, you answer it as if you've never heard it before. There's a ride called the Jungle Cruise. And the most common question asked about it is, how long is this ride? So the staff is given a prepared standard answer. The Jungle Cruise is an exciting adventure ride that lasts 10 minutes. But one employee had been asked it once too often. So when a couple asked, how long is the Jungle Cruise? He said, three days. <laughs> the couple got out of line, went back to the Disney Hotel, packed their suitcases, checked out, and came back to the line at the Jungle Cruise. <laughs> the next day, that Disneyland employee was gone. And a new employee was saying, the Jungle Cruise 
is an exciting adventure that lasts 10 minutes. Some companies do it right. Some people don't do it right. Let me show you a clip of somebody who did it right. I don't know if you saw this, but listen carefully. This is incredible. Uh, this was on uh, one of the news channels, but listen to this story of a servant. This is World News tonight. We know it's the people of this country who make America great, whether they are young or old, or in this case, both. You're about to meet a friendship created by kindness, one thrown into tragedy, the other a kind of angel swooping down, both defining America strong. ABC's Josh Elliott. They are the unlikeliest of pairs. 22-year-old Colin Smith and 72-year-old Ernest Green, known to all here at High Point University as a package deal. We always have a lot of fun. Just prior to his freshman year of high school, Colin, a budding three-sport athlete, was involved in a horrific car accident, which left him paralyzed from the chest down. Pretty amazing story. A guy spends eight, 10 years, 12 hours a day, making sure someone gets an education. And I did some research on this. I can't confirm it, but I, I, I would think that this man is a Christian. He heard about this in his church prayer request. And he said, if you caught it, this was my calling. And that's how you become a servant, because God has called you to do this. And you may be thinking, I could never do that. That's beyond my capability. I don't have 12 hours a day like Ernest had to devote to someone. But here's the question I would ask you. What are you doing with the 12 hours a day you do have? Are you serving the place that God has called you to? It's pretty simple when you think about what God has called us to do. His roles for us are pretty well defined. As a mom, you're going to be a servant in that home. I saw my wife model it for 20 years with her girls. And that was more than doing the work around the house. It was leading them to a relationship with Christ. For us as men, God has called us to be a servant leader in our home, not to lord over our house, to be a provider, a protector and the priest of our home as we fulfill the role as a spiritual leader. The point is this, you can be a servant in your home. You should be a servant on your job. And what about this body? Look around you. Jesus said to the disciples, basically, look around you. You're to be serving one another. How are you serving this body of Christ? Where are you fitting into what God has for you? as a servant, at grace, or at the church God has called you to. Jesus taught his disciples a lesson that night that they would never forget. He said, I want you to be holy. I want you to be humble. But this is going to be for your benefit. You're going to be happy. That's the, that's the third point, the if of happiness. If you know these things, Happy or blessed, and actually in the King James it says happy. If you know these things, blessed or happy, are you if you what? If you do them. We have to do what James tells us. 
not to be hearers of the word, but to be doers also. And, you know, this is a promise from God. This is the way he made us. That you will be happy if you learn to serve other people. We find fulfillment. We find joy. We find purpose when we serve others. And yes, I know, according to Corbin, it can be gross at times. When we serve others, it can be exhausting. It can be thankless. It can be irritating. It can be humiliating. It can be discouraging. But if God has called you, he will enable you to be his servant. And he will bring happiness to you. Blessed are you if you do this. It will be rewarding in God's time. It also gives us a pattern in our life that perhaps you've heard before. But it's illustrated in this passage. Holiness is what? It's our relationship to God. That's most important. Humility reveals our relationship to others. And finally, if we can find joy and happiness, that's our relation to ourselves. And isn't that the order that God would have us to live our lives? First, others, and then us last. I'm going to close with one more illustration. And uh, it comes from a, a television show that uh, I've seen a couple times. Maybe you've seen it. It's called Undercover Boss. Are you familiar with this? Okay, Undercover Boss. Uh, it's... For those of you who are not familiar, you have the CEO of the company or the president of a company that says, I want to see how this is going in the company. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do these different jobs, and I'm going to make the company better. If, if the boss can get in there and work alongside the employees, then we're, we're going to be what we need to be. And the, 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 the episodes that I've seen, they're, they're not bad. You see the boss uh, struggling to keep up with the work. You see people that are, for the most part, doing the right thing. They're working hard. But I, I have to ask this question. I mean, if you're at work and there's a camera there, aren't you going to do a good job? I mean, that's not the day to have a bad day. When that camera's rolling, you're, you're thinking, this, this needs to be good. But the part that impressed me is at the end of the show, when they bring the CEO there and the people come in, and they act surprised. I'm like, wait a minute, there was a camera. You didn't know this was going to happen? But anyway, the boss says to certain things to them. You know, I was really impressed with your attitude toward our customers. And, and I think you're a great asset to this company. We need more workers like you and things like that. And then in the one I saw, it's like, here, we're going to give you $20,000. Bring your family over here to America. We know you're struggling. Here's $10,000. We're going to help you purchase a house for your disabled mother. Or we're going to pay for your college education so that you can reach the dreams that you have. And as I was watching that, it made me think of our ultimate boss, Jesus. That's who the Bible says we work for, not the person that gives us our paycheck, but we work for the Lord. We work for our Savior. He's the ultimate boss. He sees everything. He's aware of everything. And I can imagine that 
that little encounter that they have, it might be like that a little bit in heaven. When we sit down with our Savior. And I thought of some people in this church. This is probably a mistake for me to try and try this. But I thought of specific people, and I thought of many people, but I just kind of related to some people where he might have said, say to Luke, I really like your passion. You did all you could to tell others about the gift of eternal life. I know those kids drove you crazy. I'm not talking about the ones in the youth group. I'm talking about all the ones you've got in your house. <laughs> and you keep adding them. But, well done. I think of Warren. Warren, you gave a long life to my service, to this cause. You went to the least of these, to the prisons, to the jails. People that deserve to be there. But they deserve to hear the gospel. And you were faithful. Well done. Reg, you found something you love, sports. And you combined it, that with your life's vocation. You taught young men how to win on the court. But you served those young men by teaching them how to be faithful followers of Christ. Well done. Sandy, you sure took a lot of time trying to teach those kids about my creation in your junior high and high school science classes. I know it wasn't easy to serve them, and you wondered if they were listening, but you did what I asked you to do. That was important. But your best service was your faithfulness to your son, to your family. Well done. Carol and Terry, you cared so much about our father's business that you opened branch offices around the world. You became a servant to people who were different in many ways to you. But they needed the precious message that you carried to forward lands. Well done. Well done. That's what we all want to hear when we stand before God. And I hesitated to mention these people by name because so many of you came to my mind when I thought about those that are faithful in our prayer walk here at Highlands, to those who serve in our children's ministry, for those in Awana, for those in our nursery, for those talented musicians that practice and lead us to worship God through that, to our maintenance department, to our office staff, for those of you that live in very difficult family situations, and yet you're serving your family and your spouses. I couldn't mention all of you, but I promise you this, God hasn't missed any of them. And God is going to reward you. And God is going to bring blessing in your life. Let's close in prayer. When I think of this message, I would like to make sure that first of all, everyone here has been washed in the blood of Christ. And there may be someone here, you're here for the first time that it made sense to you. 
You don't have a birthday that you celebrate as a part of God's family. You haven't experienced that first step of holiness. Would you accept Christ today? It's very simple. I know that I'm a sinner. I can't get to heaven on my own. And I accept what Christ did on the cross. Would you accept him today? Pray and ask him. Pray and ask him to be your savior. And then I would say, perhaps all of us would say, I need that daily holiness. I need to come before my savior and say, I blew it today. Forgive me. And how about a place of service? Has God spoken to you today? You look around and you say, yes, I'm washed in his blood, but I'm not really serving too many people. Make a commitment today. See someone on our staff and say, I'd like to get involved. And then let's all enjoy the blessing of serving together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. I thank you for those that you've called together today as we think about another school year. I know that there are many things that we don't know about the year, but I do know this. We will be called to serve you in many ways. I pray that our hearts will be right. I pray that you will cause people in this congregation to serve you in a renewed way, that we would carry out the mission, a mission that you gave to those disciples so many years ago. It's our mission, God. It's our calling. May we accept it. May we embrace it. I pray that you would bless us as we go from this place to our homes, to our families. May we be what you've called us to be in your name. Amen.